Hello, everybody. We are excited. We have a mashup, a crossover show between the Pinstripe Talk podcast and the Fenway Focus podcast. A Delahanty Media special for you. And obviously, you know, on my side, I wish the Yankees would have at least won one of these games. But however, I'm sure my co-host for today is basking in the fact that his Red Sox went to Yankee Stadium and took three games from the rival New York Yankees. Hello, everyone. My name is Nick Delahanty, the owner of Delahanty Media, and I am proud to bring you this crossover show, our first of this exciting time. And before we get into anything, Delahanty Media or Pinstripe Talk or Finway Focus, I would like to take this time to introduce the newest member of the Delahanty Media brand. Somebody I've worked with in the past, you know, he likes the Red Sox. I'm a Yankees fan. We're rivals in that regard, but we sure do make a great team, and we are proud and excited to have him aboard so at this time, I'd like to introduce the new host of the Finway Focus podcast, Mr. Jared Orlick. Jared, how's it going? Hey, Nick. How are you? You know, it's I'm good. Doing you well. know, we've got a sweep, you know, first time since 2011. We went into Yankee Stadium, took you guys over, you know, looks feeling pretty good on this Monday morning. Listen, I was in high school graduating the last time your Red Sox swept the Yankees in Yankee Stadium. That yeah, was and, 10 years ago. And now back-to-back sweeps for the Yankees. You know, they got swept by the Tigers. It's been a, it's been a rough go for the Yankees, and, and we're going to get into it in more on the show and just kind of break down the series and kind of just kind of digest what's wrong with the Yankees. You know, my past shows, I'm sure you've listened in. I, I can't figure it out, but we're going to try to digest it here and figure it all out. Before we get to that, we have to do our promotional plug. Obviously, for the people who listen to the Pinstripe Talk podcast, they hear me do this every week. So I'm going to defer. I want you to introduce your show. Tell, tell the viewers what they're going to expect and what they can hear from you. And then tell them how to follow you on social media. Well, obviously, as you said, Red Sox, you know, we talk about everything Sox. You know, right now we've had a good stint. Uh, we just went over the month of May. We had a good intro show. Now it's kind of getting to the point where... We're a few months into baseball, you know, soon's the draft. My favorite thing to talk about is a draft. And soon I can't wait to talk about the different prospects. They might draft. Uh, that'll be a big thing. Uh, stats, huge stats guy. Love my stats. So we always talk about stats. Uh, big thing. I rag on pitchers a lot. I love pitchers. I love the position, but I love to rag on uh, our pitchers because, you know, sometimes they, they control the, the tempo of the game. Uh, I, you know, I love my socks, but I will not hold back when it comes to things because I want the best for us. You know, we come off a really, really rough 2020, you know, so now we're coming into a red hot 2021 and there's a lot to talk about uh, between uh, wins, losses, uh, possible playoff spot, uh, seeing the Yankees again. That's going to be, you know, we we'll, could be here again talking uh, Red Sox Yankees. So uh, you can follow me on Facebook, uh, Fenway Focus on Facebook. Uh, I'm on Twitter as well. Uh, so you can find me on there. If you want to listen to the podcast, you can find me on Spotify. We're also on Apple Music. And there are a few other sites that you could find from Anchor. He has it all covered. That was a beautiful promotional plug. Didn't have to step in at all. I give you a lot of kudos for that. Make sure you do your homework. Subscribe, rate, and review Jared's show, Finway Focus Podcast. If you're not subscribing on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and looking up on Anchor, you're doing something wrong, so make sure you take care of that. We are also in the process of adding Jared's show to our website, Delahanty Media. Our tech guy is actually on vacation this week, so we are in the process of doing that. It is when he gets back from vacation. I didn't want to bother him during his time off. But again, we have a lot to talk about in regards to the Yankees and the Red Sox. It's just kind of weird that these two teams waited till June to match up. We have 19 games, three of which are done. I just hope the Yankees don't get swept again multiple times. This, that was ugly. Double sweep would not be nice on your record, especially with how you guys are doing at the moment. And who wants to be swept twice by their biggest rival when they have gone, what, 11 seasons now without being swept? So, you know, it's a scary thought. Oh, it's scary, all right. But let's jump into the Boston Red Sox. Now, before the season started... I viewed them as a third-place or fourth-place team. I always thought that them and Toronto were going to be very close in the division, and I felt like the Yankees and the Rays were going to be at the top. Going into the season, 
What were your expectations for this team? Do you think that they're overachieving at this point of the year, or was this something that you expected from this squad? You know, I did think that they had a lot of heart. You know, this team kind of came off a really bad year. They brought in a really, a few vets, you know, they called up Dahlbeck again. So, you know, I kind of thought that, you know, they'd be middle of the pack. I did agree. I thought that, you know, there was no way they wouldn't be a fourth place team. Hopefully they wouldn't be worse than the Orioles who didn't win for what, 15 games. But, you know, I, I think that they definitely are quite close to overachieving considering, you know, we're coming off a really horrible year. Uh, Eduardo Rodriguez, you know, he had those hard issues uh, after his stint with COVID. Uh, we didn't know what was going to go on with the manager situation, what was going to happen with Mookie now being gone, you know, where we were going to be. Uh, how Verdugo would step up as he was that main staple of the trade. They made a couple moves, Ben and Jackie gone. You know, s- those three staples are what won us a World Series in 2018. So I think definitely we kind of came in thinking the worst that we were going to do would be a dark horse for that second wild card spot. But I think now at this point, you know, we're a few months into baseball and we really do look good. Devers looks elite. I hate to say it, but he, he, he looks elite and I don't want to jinx it. That's why I hate to say it. I don't want to jinx it, but you know, I think he actually is close to the lead uh, for RBIs in the league. So I think we're above where we should be at right now. You know, considering where we are, I thought, you know, we would be below 500 at this point. I didn't think we'd be fighting for that first place in the division. I didn't think that the Yankees would be where they're at, you know? So I'm happy. I, you know, even if they don't make the playoffs, this team's having fun and it's fun to watch them, you know, Kike sliding, uh, Marwin sliding, you know, in in the month of May and and so far into June, but they're still having fun. Uh, that's one of the most important things, you know, uh, Cora, He's having these guys move back to the fundamentals of baseball. So I think it's an exciting team to watch. And, you know, if we overachieve even more, I'm happy. But for now, uh, we're okay where we're at, second place. Listen, when when they traded bets and we talked about this via text and, and other group chats, you know, I think that the initial thought was, okay, the Red Sox are thinking that they're going to rebuild and, and wanted to kind of replenish a little bit by getting rid of Betts and not wanting to pay him long-term. And yes, Betts goes on and wins a championship with the Dodgers. But when you look at this team and, and you look at the future of the roster, you can make the case that the Red Sox made the right move there. Even though Betts is still arguably a top five player in the game, you can make the case that they did the right thing by the organization and, and didn't throw so much money at one guy and instead tried to identify other holes on the roster. And then you said it, Jackie Bradley Jr., an elite defensive center fielder they let go. Andrew Benintendi, a guy that if the Yankees had him and Yankee fans loved him the way that you know Red Sox fans did, they would murder somebody if the Yankees traded him. They trade him to the Royals, and, and you know they don't look back. And one thing that really stands out to me is the Alex Cora factor. This team has a whole different feel to them with Cora back under the helm. And yeah, I agree on the whole Hinch and and Cora should still be out of the game. I, you know, after the whole cheating scandal, I get it. But what are you going to do? Major League Baseball made their sentence. They served it. They're back. And let's be honest. The Yankees are coming off a series in which A.J. Hinch outmanaged Aaron Boone. And, and a series that Alex Cora outmanaged Aaron Boone. So the manager factor, I think, definitely plays into perspective. And Cora says it all the time. Versatility sells. You know, when you have a team that's versatile, you could do a lot more things. You mentioned Kike Hernandez, a guy I absolutely love. He's not hitting, but he could play multiple positions. Marwin Gonzalez, a clubhouse leader, a guy who's been there, knows how to win. He's a guy that, you know, sacrifices anything for the team. You have versatility. And then you add that left side of the infield. And as a Yankee fan, I hate to say it, but I love that Devers and Bogarts combination. I think, you know, Devers is getting better defensively, which is making it a lot easier for the Red Sox to keep them there. But the way that guy hits and the way Bogarts plays, you can make the case that that's one of, if not the best duo left side of the infield that this league has right at this current moment. You know, I agree. I agree. Uh, Devers has made a, you know, he's made a few hiccups, but obviously he's still, he's still young. Uh, it's, it's interesting, you know, with Cassis coming up next year, possibly uh, Dalbeck got called back up. You know, he's not hitting great. He's probably hitting sub 200, but you know, it's a guy that's a power bat. So, but I do agree on the point that that Mookie trade was a staple. I think that right there 
kind of set the tone as to where we were going to go from here on out. You know, the previous uh, uh, GM, you know, he absolutely ruined the farm system. Uh, the sale trade alone, we saw him absolutely just say, you know what? Screw it. We're trading everybody. You know, we're emptying. So I think it's definitely, you know, good now that they're replenishing the farm system. You know, obviously I, I miss Mookie. You know, that you, you can't not miss him. He was a huge personality. Uh, his, you know, he's elite on both sides of the ball. You know, his defense is great. His offense is great. You're always going to miss him. Verdugo is not going to fill that hole, but he's been a great locker room guy. Everybody loves him. He was interacting with Yankee fans. That's dangerous. That man is dangerous for that. But, um, you know, the minors look good. You talked about Ben Attendee. It's, I love him. I'll always love Benny. You know, uh, win, dance, repeat was our thing all through 2018. But they got a lot out of the trade for him. And the guys they got for him look great in the minors. Obviously, apart from Franchi Cordero. He does look great in the minors. He not so great in the majors. Uh, That's your it, boy, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I got to love. I mean, he's he made some great plays. You know, in the beginning of the year, he did make some great plays that kind of won us some games. But then he started to fall down. They brought up Danny Santana. He's essentially the same player hitting sub 200. But he is a little bit better. Uh, he's versatile. That's it. That's this. In that sense, he's versatile. Danny Santana can play everywhere. Same thing as Marwin. Same thing as Kike. They play everywhere. So I think that's kind of why they chose him over Franchi. But they have a great minor league system now. They're not all top guys, obviously. You know, they do have Jeter Downs. They have Cassis. Those are two, they're two, you know, top guys who could possibly be called up next year. But, you know, it, it's replenished. They look better. They have a top five pick this year. You know, my personal favorite. I'm hoping they go lighter if they could get them. If not, I think they'll go rocker. But you also mentioned guys that they brought in. I love Hunter Renfro. You know, I love Hunter Renfro. Cora loves Hunter Renfro. He said it today. He feels he's one of the best defensive uh, right fielders out right now in majors. And I kind of want to agree. I, I hate to say it, but he makes plays that, you know, you don't see every day from a right fielder. And with such a thin right field, uh, you know, Overall, in the league, it's definitely something to watch out for. And in the month of May, he looked great offensively. He looked like that Renfro a few years ago when he was just smoking the ball. Everything was a homer for him. So it's definitely something that I love to watch out for is that as those guys that they brought in. Yeah, you got a lot to be excited about if you're a Red Sox fan or if you follow the Red Sox very closely. Now, let's jump to the other side of the spectrum. The train wreck that the New York Yankees are currently riding Yankees are struggling. They Just get say the least. The, they, they get swept by the Tigers. They take two of the games against the Rays, and then they get swept at home against the Red Sox. The Yankees have what don't have what the Red Sox have. They don't have the versatility. They're, the injury bug is getting them again. You know they're missing guys like Luke Voigt. That hurts them a lot. A guy like DJ LeMahieu who is hitting seventy or eighty points under where he was the last two years. If you're a Yankees fan, you got to be saying to yourself, oh boy, what's this deal going to look like the next five years? They have him under contract for the full six years. Gary Sanchez isn't hitting. Gleyber Torres, as much as I love him, isn't hitting. You have Gio Rochella, who is great defensively, doesn't have the power from a year ago. Brett Gardner, who shouldn't even be on a major league roster, getting everyday playing time. Clint Frazier, who my fellow Pinstripe Talk podcast people will tell you I am a big Clint Frazier guy. He's not hitting, not getting the opportunity to play every day. And then you basically have Aaron Judge, and it's kind of like a ticking time bomb waiting to see when he's going to get hurt because, you know, it's coming. You just feel it's coming. What's your take on the Yankees before we get into this three-game set? You know, I hate to be that Red Sox fan that, you know, kind of – I feel for the Yankees in the sense that we were there last year. We had injuries. We had all that stuff. So, you know, I kind of feel. Uh, I It does kind of – Fill me with a little bit of joy seeing that, you know, Yankee fans are struggling with what we saw last year that they made fun of us for dealing with, you know, uh, but I do Glaber. I hate to say it in the sense that, you know, he did start off really cold, but he has been quite good in the past couple weeks. May he was pretty solid. Uh, I do feel that, you know, that DJ deal is pretty scary. I agree on that. Um, but I think that the major issue with the Yankees has to be they have moved away from what the Yankees are. You heard A-Rod talk about it in the Red Sox series. They aren't the Yankees that they're supposed to be. 
where are the lefty bats? You have had what one lefty bat half the year. And one of them was a switch hitter in Hicks. You know, they're not the Yankees. They're supposed to be Boone has been managing awful. You know how I feel about Boone, but think about how you guys used your relievers alone. You use them all in one game. You cannot do that to your team because then you have judge who is the enigma. He's playing great this year. He looks like if he plays a full season, he's going to get that massive deal he deserves. He is one of the top ranked players in half of the stats that you don't look at. So it kind of overshadows his talent because the rest of the team can't hit. You were right. Geo does look great on defense, but he isn't going to be that power guy. He's going to have to get the ball down like DJ is supposed to be. DJ had a non-DJ night. What was he, 0 for 4 at one point with a strikeout? You don't want to see that from the guy you just paid. You don't want to see, you know, the way that the infield is playing. You know, there's been a lot of errors, you know, double plays, grounding into double plays. Now you guys lead the league. Uh, Come on. You know, you have guys on that team with power. All they got to do is put the ball in play, but not in play to a double play, especially when a lot of those double plays weren't great double plays. You're talking a normal double play. Okay, I get that. We were talking you had guys that are coming from a third base spot that you have to go on the ground to get, and they're still grounding into that double play. Gary, same thing. You know, I think that defensively he's gotten a lot better this year. But offensively, he started off, you know, he had those home runs. You saw the power again, but then he stopped getting contact with the ball. He's a guy that's going to range in the low twos because he's not making contact. He makes power. Look at him. He's a top catcher in the league because you can get past the defensive woes, but he isn't elite on both sides. So he has to be elite at least on one side. That's why personally, not to go back to the Red Sox, but I love Vasquez because he does it on both sides of the ball. He's not a power guy, but he's going to get the ball in play and he's elite on defense. So you want to see Gary, you know, he's, He's average now on defense. You want to see him step his offense back up. So I really do think that a lot of the issues with the Yankees are internal. I think it goes back to Boone. I think it goes back to Cash. They made some very questionable moves. They were always supposed to be in the top. We were They were getting Mike Trout. They were getting Harper. And what do you end up with? Signing DJ to a massive deal. So I think that, you know, there's a lot of internal issues. I think Boone does not manage the game the way he should. Your minor league system... Where, where are the guys that you're bringing up for the bats? You have Dominguez. That's all you ever hear about now. But all the pitchers, where are they? Why why aren't they, you know, why aren't we talking about Schmidt? Where's Schmidt at? You know, you have issues with your pitching. So, you know why, why Schmidt's, are you not, not, Schmidt's not in the, uh, in the uh, radar because he's hurt. I, I mean, in the sense that even in the beginning of the year, before he got hurt, there was no talk of him coming up this year. But you knew that you were dealing with a guy like Tyone who might not get it going. King, who might not get it going. Kluber, you didn't know we were going to get out of him. You know, he was a Cy Young guy. You can't, you know, you can't discount that he was a stud. But, you know, he's hurt. He was hurt. Same thing with the Mets did with Carrasco. You took a chance on that guy. You don't know where he's going to be. He throws a no-hitter. Great. Now he's hurt. What do you do? You, you know, know what the, the big issue with the Yankees is? And you, you mentioned some of the pieces, and I want to kind of touch on that. The biggest issue is Hal Steinbrenner not wanting to spend. The Dodgers, who just won the World Series, blew over the luxury tax. Not not one care in the world. Yes, it, it's annoying. You have to pay. But they're the New York Yankees. They're the most profitable sports franchise in the world. You mean to tell me that you don't want to put a winning team on the field? If George was under the helm, they would be spending money. They wouldn't care about the luxury tax. And that's the big difference. And, you know, from my generational standpoint, the Yankees needed a bat. Steinbrenner went and got it. He went and got Jason Giambi. He went and got Matsui. He went and got Roger Clemens. He went and got what he needed. This is not what the Yankees are doing. Cashman's hands were tied. He had limited funds to work with. And even now you hear they're saying that they're not going to let him do anything at the trade deadline because they're trying to stay under that luxury tax. He signed Corey Kluber, $11 million. Where's Kluber now? He looked great when he was on the mound. You're looking at not having him till August. Jamison Tyone, their big trade acquisition, has one of the lowest ERAs in the American League for starters that qualify. 
They didn't do anything offensively other than sign LeMahieu and bring back Gardner. And then, like you said, the left-handed bat problem. You're in Yankee Stadium. You could sneeze and hit a home run to right field. Where's the lefty bat? You know, a guy like Michael Brantley made way, way too much sense for this Yankee team. I don't even think they put out an offer for him. And if you would have brought in Brantley, you could have made a trade. And and I hate to say it because I love him. But you could have traded Clint Frazier for more pitching. You know, you could have found a way to get a shortstop for Frazier and, and kept Glaber at second. You could have used Luke Voigt to get a trade bait while his stock was high. Now you're looking at this team and what's the common denominator? They have a bunch of guys that are supposed to hit for power, aren't hitting for power, and strike out a lot. You know, and when the guys like DJ and Glaber and Urshela aren't putting the ball in play, you're in trouble. So now that's the kind of issue the Yankees are in. The pitching's been fine. The bullpen's been great. The manager's been awful, but the offense hasn't gotten it going. If you look at their numbers, they're like bottom 10 in the league in every statistical category. They're hitting 220 as a team. You look at the lineup every day, you got guys hitting under one, like 200. Frazier, Gardner, Odor. You know, when's it going to end? Stanton, we had this conversation a couple of days ago about Stanton. Guy, I would love to be Giancarlo Stanton. Look at the Yankee schedule. They had an off day on Monday. They played three games against Minnesota during the week. They have an off day on Friday. And then they go to a National League opponent for two. So Stanton's not going to play. And meanwhile, against your biggest rival, he's not in the lineup every day. That makes no sense to me. You know, I just yeah, feel I like a lot of everything. Yeah, I agree with Stan. You know, uh, it, it, we know we we obviously know that Jeter did have a hand in that trade. Obviously, considering the Yankees aren't really paying much of his contract. You know, it's not a uh, you know some of the contracts that the Mets have pushed out. But I, I think that when you have your big power bat, you know, obviously he's had she struggled. He looks like Kike Hernandez. He's got what two hits? We talked about it last night. Two hits in his last thirty. So uh, you don't want to see that. You don't want to see a DH, a sole DH. I mean, granted, JD wasn't playing yesterday either, but Stanton, all he's ever done is hit. You know, the last time he fielded was in the back end of his career with Miami. JD, the same thing, but, you know, he when he was with Arizona. But, you know, you don't want to see Stanton not playing. At least JD played 90% of the season, and he has played in the field. He's had to play in the field when they play a National League team. Stanton doesn't do that. So Stanton gets even an extra day off, whereas you got JD who was willing to play in the field because that's what you guys are missing too, uh, to tie it into JD, heart. You know, You're right. Yan- you, you see Yankee teams all the time. They always have fun playing baseball. They're always together. They are a team. They're the team that a lot of teams look up to because, like you said, they make some of the most money. They are some of the biggest, one of the biggest franchises in the world. When we played in overseas, what did everybody have on? Yankee jerseys. Because they know the Yankees. So it, it's, you don't want to see a Yankee team not have any heart because then it takes the fun away from beating you guys. You know, when you have guys that look like they don't want to hit, it's not fun beating you guys and putting up four runs in one inning, you know? And you're right. They are stingy to spend. The Red Sox were above that luxury cap too, but they moved uh, moved people to get out of that way of the luxury tax. But you're the Yankees, like you said, spend a little bit of money, but the, they're st- the owners are stingy about it, and some of the front office is stingy. They don't want to bring in a big-ticket guy, but yet then they sign DJ to that contract as if, you know, he's 25 and you get six years out of him. You don't think you're going to get all six years out of him. You're hoping you get a ring out of him. And you can deal with the six. That's the same thing that the Sox did when they signed JD. We get a ring out of the guy. You know, he's got to get another year or two that he's been really good. You know, this year he's been doing it. But, you know, you want to get that money out of him. You want your money's worth. As of right now, the Yankees don't look like they're getting their money's worth out of Stanton. And God only knows if they're going to get their money's worth out of DJ, considering how they look now. What are they going to do two years down the line? What's the farm system going to look like bat-wise? Are they going to bring in lefty bats? God only knows, you know, you don't want to see that. It's not, it's not fun baseball to watch a team get ragged on. It's like beating the Orioles at this point. It, it they don't want to do anything. They, they really, the, the Yankees look like, I, I don't want to say lazy because some of the guys aren't lazy. You know, Glaber stepped up his game after people ragged on him. People ragged on him for the month of April, especially he came in, 
May, he looked great so far in June. You know, we're only a weekend. He's looked great. But, you know, you don't want to see that out of some of the other guys. Gio, out in the field, great. When he's up to bat, he looks uncomfortable. And that's what kind of bothers me about that Yankees lineup is they look uncomfortable at the plate, like as if the, they're scared of the ball. You know, it's way too much pressure, I think, on the on the lineup. And, and one thing that I identify on this team, and I've been sitting here thinking about it a lot, is they really don't have a leader. Like, you can identify multiple teams throughout the league, and you could say, that's their leader. The, the Red captain. Sox go with Xander Bogarts. Yeah. Like, that's identified. You don't need to know that. You know, people make this the, the statement, you know, Judge is the leader. But Judge is a quiet human being to the point where he's not lighting a fire in somebody. And in the dugout, you don't see that. Surprisingly enough, as six foot seven, you know, you'd expect him to be that guy, but he's not. And that's that's okay. He doesn't have to be that guy. There are other people. It's not a small roster. You're not talking about where you have one guy that has to be it. You could have a team brought up Xander. It's not just Xander. That's just the staple piece. They're not together. And, you know, you need somebody to light a fire under them. Boone's clearly not doing it. We're gonna. I'm gonna save my comments about Boone until we get to Game Three. But <laughs> I got a lot to rip on that guy. But again, like even DJ LeMayu, like he's not hitting. You know, he's a quiet guy in himself. And then they say Brett Gardner's the clubhouse leader. Who's listening to Gardner when he's hitting 170? I wouldn't. I'm yeah, like, bro, and you're he's like now. <laughs> I'm like, bro, you're 37 years old. Get out. You don't even belong on my roster. We traded Mike Talkman to keep you around. Like that's it. Like you're done. Like we're trying to win here. Like I get it. Gardner was great for us. I understand it. But at a point, you got to say, you know what? We got to figure out a way to win. But and Talkman's winning more. Talkman's winning yeah, more in Talk- San Francisco. Talkman's not hitting much. You know the trade's kind of a watch for all the stinks too. But you know it is what it is. Let's jump into this series, shall we? Game one. Yankees throw Michael King. Uh, man, if if you could just talk about like the difference in a start, we're gonna get to Michael King. Nathan Eovaldi goes for the Red Sox. And, of course, what do the Yankees do? They make him look like Cy Young. Goes six strong. Only allowed a run. Allowed eight hits. Here's how the scoring broke down. Right away, Devers hits a moonshot. 429 feet to right field. Boston's up 3 nothing. Absolute moonshot, right? Gotta love him. Gotta love that kind of hit, especially since all they've been doing is throwing him fastballs. He finally gets on one. Gone. Absolutely. Then the game kind of quiets down. We go to the top of the sixth. You get a Marwin Gonzalez double, scoring two. Red Sox take a commanding 5-0 lead at that point. Then the Yankees try to mount the comeback. Aaron Judge hits a home run, 358 feet. And then on a throwing error by Gonzalez, the Yankees score another run. That's all they would get. 5-2 is your final. Let's go to the pitching side. We mentioned the Evaldi. He looks really good. Let's jump over to King. This is amazing to me. King ends up pitching until the sixth inning. He had that, that ugly first inning. Dever sits the moonshot, and I'm thinking, oh, man, this guy's going to get rocked. He's going to be out early. Then he comes back a few innings later with an immaculate inning, which is, in case you don't know, baseball terms, um, nine pitches, three strikeouts, and then had a four-pitch inning. So the Red Sox kind of, like, bailed him out a little bit. Yeah, I, I, hate, I hate that sometimes because, you know, the guys he got out were the guys who really weren't hitting. You know, it was – it was great to watch. You know, it's great baseball when you see something like that. That's history. That's history right there, seeing a, an immaculate inning. But uh, it them getting that 3-0, uh, 3-0 lead definitely helped because he was on fire from there out. And a guy like King, who if he's on fire, he's going to go. He's going to give you all those innings. But, you know, I think that uh, definitely them coming into it and uh, getting the lead and then Marwin with the double helped. You know, it helped to get that lead, but you know, the Yankees kept it in it. They kept it interesting. Uh, so that was, that was fun. You know, it's fun to watch that kind of interesting baseball. The judge solo shot only in Yankee stadium. He still hit it 430 feet though. So, or no, actually it was 358. I'm thinking about the Devers homer. Yeah, you're yeah. right. Yankee stadium homer. <laughs> you're right. I'm thinking about the, I, I still have the Devers moonshot. My neck still hurts from watching those fly balls. The Red Sox hit this weekend on my mind, but you know, both teams did something very poorly in this game, hitting with runners in scoring position. Red Sox two for seven, left four guys on base. Yankees 0 for five. They left six on. Yankees, of course, hitting the two double plays. What else is new? Oh, a couple of guys with multiple hits. Judge had two hits in the homer. Glaber had two hits out of four at-bats. And you had Bogarts, two hits, two runs scored. And then your boy Marwin, two hits and four at-bats. So game one goes to the Red Sox. 
it, it really is painful watching these former Yankees pitch against the uh, <laughs> pitch against them. But regardless, that was not going to be the first time we saw it this series. Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously, I have my own opinions about Evaldi, you know, uh, as a reliever, loved him, loved him in the pen. You know, he's got his ups and downs and, you know, if his velocity, he's a velocity guy. So, you know, you kind of, you know, at times it's great watching him throw 98. Sometimes he hits that 99. So it's fun to watch. But, you know, sometimes when guys get on him, they get on him. And it's happened quite a few times this year. You know, he's sitting at that what now? I think he's got a... Uh, I think he's got an above three ERA. He's probably sneaking close to four now. Uh, but, you know, it's a, it, he's not supposed to be the ace. Erod is supposed to be the ace, and that's that's the interesting part. I love how you transitioned that one because Erod, that's Eduardo Rodriguez, was on the mound for the Red Sox in game two. What a transition, Jared. You're, you're a pro at this already. Transitioning right over for us. But regardless, you had Rodriguez. You had Jamison Tyone. Those two matched up, and of course, what happens? The Red Sox end up winning the game. However, there are a couple of interesting notes that we got to bring up in this one. Number one, the Red Sox used two former Yankees as pitchers. We're going to get to those guys in a moment. And again, the Yankees' strong point of the bullpen gets a bit roughed up. Loisca really didn't have it in his inning and two-thirds of work. He threw 30 pitches. Chad Green, who picks up the loss, allowed four earned runs. His ERA spikes to 3.14. This came after a solid start from Tyone, who allowed just three runs over five and a third innings of work. It's kind of funny, but if you look at the pitching stat lines, Rodriguez and Tyone were very similar. Rodriguez let up five runs, uh, five, five hits on three runs. Tyone let up six hits on three runs. Now, Rodriguez struck out seven, obviously a lot more than Tyone, threw 12 more pitches, but very similar in stat line. Let's take him through the box score really quick. Scoring summary. Bottom half of the fourth, Gleyber Torres gets the action rolling. He hits a homer to left. Two nothing Yanks. Top half of the sixth, you get a Dever single and a Gonzalez double. Red Sox take the lead three to two. Then on a foul out in the bottom of the sixth, the Yankees score another run to tie up the game. And then from there, it was all Red Sox. In that top of the eighth, Kike Hernandez double, Vasquez double, and then that moonshot from your boy Bobby Dalbeck. Makes it 7-3, and that was your final. What were your thoughts about game two? Uh, I think, you know, Erod had a, a decent start. Uh, he still hasn't kind of really gotten where I would, you know, hope he's at, you know, until at least Sale comes back. Um, but Whitlock on fire as he's been all season. Uh, thank you for that one. Uh, but, you know, I think the fact that the way the game went, going down early, getting those three runs... Great. I think that was a great move by the offense. I wasn't expecting that. Uh, but the one note, obviously, is Bobby Dalbeck's home run. It, that was one of the most beautiful swings I have seen this ye season yet. It, he's a guy that's not, he's like a Gary. He's not going to hit for average. He strikes out a ton. He'd fit in Yankee Stadium right now. Strikes out a ton. But when he hits, he hits. Uh, I think that Tyone, you're right. Tyone really kind of at first was lighting him up. Uh, and then I think really the gas kind of fell out of him at the back end. Unlike Erod, who's was out of the tank, you know, in the fourth inning. But uh, to your point about how the game went, that's not something that you want to see out of your team. You know, the Yankees, they looked great. They had, they they, the Red Sox tie the game, right? Well, they take the lead. Yankees tie the game, rather. That, that I think, right there was the turning point that kind of set the tone. When you have to go to green where they went to green, I, I don't think that that was a smart move. I think a lot of some of the, the manager decisions, because then you have Loisaga, you have green going in one game. You have another game you have to play against the Sox. And if the bats are hot like this, why are you going to use your top two relievers? You know, green is a good mid reliever. Using him where they used him, I get because Tyone let up the three runs. But it's it's an awkward spot to bring in Loizaga and then to bring in Green. Loizaga wasn't on, but I think that if Loizaga went where Green was at, I think they would have been in a much better position to kind of keep themselves in that game a lot, you know, a lot more than they did letting up four runs in one inning. You know, my biggest thing is I, I kind of agree with you on the pitch count purpose of it. 
You know, I'm okay with them piggybacking Loisica and Green. Loisica comes in, he sh- he shuts the door, keeps the game afloat. Then he pitches the, the next inning and he does his, his thing. You know, he wasn't spectacular, but he did his thing. Green exactly. comes in to start the inning. Why was the leash so long? You yeah. know, you have a game coming up, and at this point, he's getting rocked. Why not take him out, go to somebody else, chalk it up as, you know, it's a bad day for Green, and, and have him available, especially knowing that Monday is an off day. Yep. And that's what I didn't understand about it. I felt like he was left in too long, and the damage was already done. And knowing this Yankees team, you know, you can't let up too many runs because you're playing catch-up. one nothing feels like 10 nothing at times. Yeah, I agree. And especially when it's four runs in, you know, the eighth inning. A team that's not hitting is not hitting four runs. I mean, they could. Granted, I'll give you the, the benefit of the doubt that anything can happen on any given day. But when you're going up four, it, it, it's ten times harder to try and get up and to piggyback into the next game. They did this exact same thing in the next game when it came to the leash. They did the same thing in game three at the back end of the game, letting a guy go too far, and then you have the issue of not having relievers. I'll Granted, I'll give... I kind of am a little upset that Cora did what he did. Barnes has to go in in the ninth twice. Brings him in in the third game. Same thing. That idea that when you have guys that are also available and you're going to your main guy and now they're tired, they can't. you're not going to always get three saves in a row. You know what? The Red Sox bullpen, and I want to just go back to game two for just a second. Red Sox bullpen outperformed the Yankees bullpen. The former Yankee Garrett Whitlock, who you mentioned, for those of you who don't know, Whitlock was a Rule 5 pick of the Red Sox. He's been lights out. You know, the Yankees had a ton of right-handed pitching depth. He was a guy that they let sneak through in the Rule 5, and the Red Sox jumped on him, took advantage of it. And then Adam Ottavino, Yankee fans remember him. He was the same guy sitting in the back end of the bullpen, not getting any burn during the postseason last year. He's pitching to a 2.78 ERA. Yeah, you were telling me a stat like he hasn't let up a hit to a righty in like what twenty seven at bats, twenty six at bats. Yeah, something about that. Yeah, he uh, he really uh, has kind of lit up the righties, and I think that uh, it's you know I was scared. Obviously, you know he hates the Red Sox. You know who's to say he wouldn't sell a game or two? But uh, hey, you never know. Yeah, no, I was definitely scared, especially playing the Yankees. What he was going to do? But yeah, he he's I mean outside of his walks, his walks are the big issue. He walks a lot of guys, especially early on in innings. Uh, but he's still not letting up hits. So I'll take the walks if he's not going to let up the hits because the walks mean nothing like he did uh, quite a few times. You know, he lets up a walk, but then there's no hits. He gets ground outs. Yeah. And then you had Workman who came in. He struggled a bit. Cora made the right decision, I think, going to Barnes. Only needed five pitches to get the job done. He slammed the door, yep. struck out the only batter he faced. And the Red Sox secure the series victory heading into game three, where if you're Boston, you got to feel really good about yourself. Yeah, definitely. Definitely uh, going into the game three. You know, I was a little scared. I thought that, you know, in, they would definitely take game three. We were tired. The, they hit a lot considering, you know, a couple of series before that they really weren't hitting, especially against the athletics and the Astros uh, it, to end off May. But, you know, I was a little scared. I was a little scared to see, you know, where we were at. And, you know, uh, you don't want to see Richards, who's 0-8 against the Yankees, have to pitch in Yankee Stadium. And to be quite honest with you, Richards wasn't that bad. He goes five innings, allowed just three runs, opposed by Domingo Herman, who you and I both felt could have went a little longer. I think the Yankees had a short leash on him, especially given what happened yet the day before with the bullpen. Him throwing 84 pitches, I would have liked to have seen them try to extend them a little bit. Licky comes in, he blows the game, and then Peralta allows a run. And you know what? I, I just feel like, and what we talked about with the pitch count, like, I feel they're, they're very cautious with these guys, and I understand why, but it did come back to bite them because you're not going to your prime guys in a big spot. Yeah, I, you know, we're not all the Rays. We can't all get away with having guys go 75 pitches in five innings and letting them go, and then, you know, they can handle the rest of the game in their bullpen. Uh, it was an interesting point about, you know, relievers and pitch counts. Sauramora did not pitch in game three after game two, Lighting up the Yankees. I hate to, you know, <laughs> say it that way, but really, you know, I kind of feel bad for you. But the man really lit up the Yankees. Uh, but yeah, no, I agree. The whole pitch count thing with Herman, 
Uh, it was it was a little weird, especially since he was really kind of in a groove. You know, he didn't have a lot of strikeouts, but a lot of the Yankee pitchers aren't strikeout guys. They're, you know, ground out, and that's fine as long as you get the out. But, you know, when you have a guy that has to go five innings at least, you know, you want him to go six if they can. 84 pitches where he was at is a little high. Richards was at 86, and they pulled him. But he wasn't pitching. Uh, her mom wasn't pitching as bad as, uh, you know, Richards was. You know, he was throwing a lot of balls out of the zone. He was walking guys. But I think if they had let him go just a little bit longer, it would have been a lot tighter of a game. I mean, it was obviously tight, but it wouldn't have gone the way it did at the back end of the game. And that back end of the game, we're going to get to because there's a lot to talk about there. But let's take them through the scoring place, kind of just give them the recap there. All right. Verdugo hits a homer 446 feet right away off Herman. And that makes it one nothing Red Sox. That's all they would get off of the Yankees' right-hander. Bottom half of the first, Gary Sanchez ties up the game with a double to left, and then they take the lead as two runs score. 2-1 Yankees heading into the bottom of the fourth. A fielder's choice off the bat of Judge makes it 3-1. Here's where it gets interesting. Marwin Gonzalez ties the game with a home run in another Yankee Stadium-type homer. That ball game is tied. Top of the eighth, Bogart hits a sack fly. I thought he got all of it. Nonetheless, he didn't. Makes it four to three. Bottom of the ninth. Backs against the wall. Glaber ties the game with a double. We send this one to extras. Yes or no? Do you like the extra inning rule? I I don't. We won a lot of games in extras, so I kind of do like it. I like it when we win, but I, I do think it's kind of a little bit weird at times. You know, especially you know we both hate Tyler Wade, so to have to to have to have watched Tyler Wade and then they ended up letting him get on base. Uh, I think it helps and it hurts because you'll see you'll see a lot more games go to a lot of extra innings, but you see the same thing if you can't get a guy to at least get a couple hits. So I think it helps and hurts, and it makes some of the games enjoyable. Unlike this game, obviously, this wasn't a fun extra innings game, but there are games where it is fun. Like in the beginning of the season, watching J.D. Martinez walk multiple games off in extras, it feels like all the time you wasted watching the game. I don't want to say wasted. I don't mean wasted in that sense, but it was a long game. You know, when you're going 10, 11 innings, sometimes more, and it's late because they're playing, say, a West Coast team, it's it's long to watch. But then it's fun to watch them walk it off on the bottom of an inning in extras. Yeah, it's fun when you win. It stinks when you lose. Yep. Well, let's go to extra, shall we? Bogarts, that guy's incredible. RBI single scores two. Red Sox hold a 6-4 lead. Bottom half of the 10, Tyler Wade, infield single. I don't know what the Red Sox were doing. I don't know what Gonzalez was doing. Throws the ball away. Wade gets the second. Nonetheless, Yankees cannot tie the game. 6-5 is your final. Red Sox leave New York with a three-game sweep. Yankees leave 12 guys on base, three for 12 with runners in scoring position. Red Sox left five on. They were one for seven with runners in scoring position. Now, the big part of the game, Gabe Morales, home plate umpire. Had a huge, I mean, huge impact on this game. Me and you were talking throughout this game. There was a call on Rafael Devers. Me and you both didn't think it was a strike. Licky ended up striking him out. I didn't think it was a strike. Nonetheless, that wasn't the worst call he would make the rest of the night. Odor gets called out on strikes to end the ninth. And here's where I want to kind of rip Aaron Boone. Yes, it was a bad call. We all agree on it. It was like a foot off the plate. But definitely, it was Aaron Boone's assistant coach is getting ejected from the game for arguing not once Boone but twice a word. <laughs> he didn't even say a word he was just chilling he's like whatever phil nevin you could see the iv in his arm the guy had covid lost 22 pounds we hope he's doing well obviously it's a scary situation definitely he comes out was concerned too he has more life than aaron boone this guy has not even been back three days yep are you kidding me and then you have Carlos Mendoza and Marcus Timms yelling at the umpire, and there's Boone. Like, you know, it's okay. Like, there's no fire out of this guy. Yeah. It's incredible. You look at Alex Score, Cora's got fired. The guy's like rally for him. And then there's the Yankees. And they kind of just look lifeless, except for Phil Nevin and Carlos Mendoza and Marcus Timms, who obviously care more than Aaron Boone does. Yep. I thought that was a little concerning that Aaron Boone's assistant coaches had to do the dirty work for Aaron Boone. Yeah, I agree. That was that was a little it was a little concerning. I, I agree. You know, that's what I love about Cora is his guys rally. You know, the cart rides after home runs now. That's something that gets your guys to follow you. That's why 
with all the cheating, I don't want to kind of like say I'm putting it over. They proved that as you know, Cora had a hand in it, obviously, but not to the extent that Hinch did. And Hinch is back, so I can't be totally mad. I have to live with it. But there was there was no fire. Cora, I will say, Nevin and Cora are very close. Cora was very concerned when he saw Nevin go out there with the IV in his arm running out. But it is concerning to see your manager have no fire, especially in a rivalry like this. We've had guys make each other bleed. We all remembered the Joe Kelly brawl that happened uh, a few years ago. We all remember uh, watching, you know, Red Sox catcher. You know who I'm talking about because you hate him more than anybody else. Absolutely rock him. Well, apparently A-Rod doesn't hate him. He was talking in the broadcast like they were best friends. Yeah, I know. It was, uh, I'm like, A-Rod, bro, you were a Yankee. You're like Red Sox loving here, man. Like yeah, just because they're uh, in second place. God, yeah. I was like, A-Rod, you're killing me, dude. The Boone, the Boone move is concerning. You want to see him get fired up, especially, you know, uh, everyone can agree. I've seen quite a few Sox fans agree. We're not going to not take the win, obviously. But it was a horrible call. Horrible, horrible call with Barnes. And especially when Barnes was not throwing great. And I get it. You know, he came in two games to save the games. Well, save. Make him sound like a superhero. But he got the saves in two games. It, it, but you don't want to. I was concerned to see him come in in game three and do exactly what he did and blow the save. But And it's not to say that, you know, Clint Frazier would have came up and got a hit. Yeah, like exactly. Odor walking there. It was 3-2. Odor would have walked. There's, it's not to say that he would have came up and got a hit, but you take the chance out of the Yankees' hands. And Gabe exactly. Morales was really good behind the plate other than four calls, all of which went against the Yankees. We were talking about this. If you go on MLB Scorecard on Twitter, they break down every home plate umpire every game. You know, this is why people are so adamant about robot umpires. You know, we're sitting there, me and you are going back and forth, and we're like, man, that was a bad call. And it didn't matter which side it was on. We were both justifying, you know, how bad they were or, you know, what we thought wasn't or or was a strike. And then you look at this and and you just see a big play like that in a a crucial game in the middle of a Yankees-Red Sox series. You got to say to yourself, like, man, when's this going to give? Like, we got to figure out a solution here because these humans are having a, a real big say in what's going on. But, you know, that call reminds me of a few years back, speaking of Red Sox, you know, games with bad calls. You go, you know, a few years back. I don't know if you remember. Bases loaded. David Ortiz is at bat. Horrible, horrible strike call. Ends the game. On a bases loaded situation. That is scary for every piece of baseball. You know, you don't even want to say robo umps. You just want guys to be held accountable. Look at Angel Hernandez. I talk about him all the time at how much I cannot stand some of the calls he makes. He still has a job. I don't know me how. And you, me and you, we make a mistake like that. We're out of a job in 30 seconds. It, it's, it's incredible. It is. It is. I, and I think that not to say we even need robo-umps, but look at what like the NBA and the NFL are doing. They're holding your guys accountable. They have to have the refs come out post-game, and they admit when they make major mistakes. These umps don't do that they're very egotistical if you look at the way it happened after that i you know i told you last night what happened in the extra innings calls when it came to ejections and when it came to the other strike calls was it was petty they were petty they called other calls because the yankees two assistants came out and argued and i fully support it but i don't support them being petty and I don't support Boone not being the guy that came out because then you had to see the assistants come out and they had to shift their coaches. Your first base coach is now at third base and you have what? He was a strength and conditioning coach at first. Yeah, the catcher coach, Tanner yeah. Swanson. It's 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 scary to think that, you know, you don't see a guy like Cora has been tossed quite a few times on really bad calls. And I love to see that energy. But you don't see that in Boone. And I think that's what scares me about the Yankees going down the line, if they keep Boone, is where's the energy? Where is your manager coming out in a rivalry series? You know, granted, there are people who believe that the, the rivalry between the Yankees and Rays has kind of started to boil above what the Red Sox rivalry is at is because, you know, it wasn't as competitive between the Yankees and the Red Sox last year and has been 
over the past couple years, especially at Yankee Stadium. We got the ring. You guys obviously didn't get the ring that year. You know, you guys, for obvious reasons, we can believe got cheated out of the ring with the Astros situation. Um, but, you know, they're not that Yankee team you're used to seeing in a rivalry series. You're used to seeing managers coming out all out brawls, which we're kind of glad, you know, at least on our side, we're kind of glad there wasn't that all out brawl because you don't want to see guys getting hurt like they used to being bloody and all that. You just don't want to go up against the Yankees because of how big they are. <laughs> yeah, they may be big, but they can't hit. That's the sad part. No, not at all. You're right about that. And you know what? I don't want to sound like a whiny fan. Like, that's not what I'm coming across as with the whole umpire thing. Did the Yankees deserve to win the game? Probably not. I'll, I'll be completely honest with that. But, you know, when you see a call like that and it takes it out of the game, you have an opportunity. You did enough to have that opportunity to win it in regular time. It just it just bothers you, especially the way they've been playing. You need every single break to go your yep. way. And it just seems like nothing is going their way right now. And it's just frustrating. And, you know, you kind of got to flip the page and, and see what's going on. But there's a lot more meetings between these two teams. You got yep. 16 more. So we're going to have a lot more Yankees-Red Sox to talk about. Definitely. I think that, though, the the deciding factor so far, and I think that will continue for the Yankees, is where do they take themselves? Do they step up to the plate? Do they say, we are the Yankees, we are going to be a better team? Or are they going to do what they've been doing lately and, and just kind of sit and take it? You know, some guys aren't taking it. That's why I think that the Red Sox are benefiting, is they didn't take what happened last year as this is what we're going to be like forever. And I think that's what the Yankees have to do. You know, they lost to the Rays last year. Uh, and I think that that kind of should have been a spark in them. And that didn't seem to spark them. The Red Sox took that. We were horrible last year and said, we need to step it up. You know, we have our manager back. We have our eight ace of sorts back. You know, I, I think Erod will benefit if Sale does end up coming back. He'll benefit from that. But they're taking guys that you don't even really think about. Christian Arroyo. Most casual baseball fans aren't going to know Christian Arroyo. Most casual fans don't know about the skill set that a guy like Marwin Gonzalez has. Plowecki. If you haven't been watching baseball, you barely know who Plowecki is. But he comes in, and I think he hit almost 350 in the month of May. That's a kind of that's kind of they're taking everything with a grain of salt and running with it. And I think the Yankees really have to kind of take that into consideration is learn from it every series. They got swept by the Tigers. They should have learned from that one. They kind of did when it came to the Rays, but I think they really need to learn. They're not it's like a it's like a kid. When you tell a kid something's wrong, the first couple times, you know, you're a little lax and go, you know, it's all right. You'll learn. When it comes to the, you know, 30th, 40th time that they're not learning, you get to the point where you're like, this kid's not going to learn. When's he going to learn? And I think that that's where the Yankees need to take this season is the season's not over yet. Everybody always assumes, you know, July comes, season could be over. We saw last year the Mets prove that wrong. You know, we both have our opinions about the Mets now, uh, but it's definitely, you know, a scary thought, you know, that the Yankees aren't going to be in that run. So I think they need to really take what they've got and become a team that's competing. We right now look like one of the hottest divisions in baseball between the Blue Jays, Vladimir Guerrero. He's in a, a battle for the, the lead in the home runs. The Rays are always good. Flip the Damas for, you know, relievers that they're already going to make look like they, you know, could be a Cy Young on some teams. And of course, one's a former Yankee. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's the but that's the thing. I think that the Yankees need to get back to their ways, fundamentals. Put the ball. Yeah, absolutely, in play. I agree with you there. And you, you know, know what? I have two questions for you before we kind of get to our uh, final part of the episode here. Yankees and Red Sox play again starting on June twenty fifth. Okay, that's a couple of weeks from now. At that point, question number one: Give me a yes or no. Are the Red Sox in first place in the American League East division? I'm going to go with no. I think that the Rays hold tight because they've been hot and their schedule has kind of been a little bit more beneficial for what they've got going for them. The Considering the, the Sox have to play the Yankees again in the month of June, it's a scary thought, especially if the Yankees get hot because when they're hot, they're hot. So I think that the Rays can use their uh, schedule to advantage, and I think that they'll still end up being in first place. Even if we're only ahead by one and a half games, I think they'll hold either one and a half 
even if they the 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 lowest I think goes is a half game that they'll be ahead of us. Very interesting. And now my second question: Yankees are currently six and a half out in the division. Obviously, it's going to change over the next couple of days and, and when you're listening to the show. But after the Red Sox series, they were six and a half out on June 25th. Over under, are the Yankees five and a half out? See, I think that's I. I it's a good question. I, I think that it's truly more going to depend on what they do in this next series. If the Yankees come out and at least take the series, I think they could be under five and a half. And I say that because obviously the Orioles are going to slide. So if you, you know, when the, eventually when the Yankees get a handle on the Orioles, they'll, they'll move a lot closer. Um, I think if they're, if the Rays kind of cool themselves back down a little bit, uh, I don't think the Blue Jays are cooling down anytime soon. Simeon on fire, Vladimir Guerrero on fire. Eventually they'll get Springer back. So I think that the Blue Jays will kind of stay where they're at. I I do though think that in these next couple series, if the Yankees get a handle of the bats, even though they're all righties, if they can get that handle on the bats, take advantage of some of the games they're going to get. I think that they'll definitely be uh, under that five and a half games. If they play like they did in this last series, I'll give you, they're not going to be, they're going to stick at six and a half. If they're going to continue to play like that and the other teams stay hot. Now here's my answers for, for these two questions. Number one, I think the Red Sox, it's going to come down to that series right before they play the Yankees. Here's the Red Sox upcoming schedule. They have the Astros for three, they have a big series against Toronto in Fenway for four Atlanta on the road for two. Then they go to KC for three before that matchup with Tampa. If they could tread water and, and stay at that a little bit above 500, it's going to be interesting that three-game set before they welcome the Yankees into Fenway for the first time this year. You know, I can see the Red Sox being right there at that point. Like, they're not going away anytime soon. They're playing good baseball. They're fundamentally sound, and they got some kind of belief in Cora. I think it's going to be very close. If they're not in first, I think it's going to be a game or a game and a half. Like you said, I don't think it's going to be four. As for the Yankees... I don't know what to think with them anymore. Every <laughs> time I think that something good's going to happen, something bad happens. So I'm going to say they're going to be over five and a half out. They're going to be at six or seven and a half out at that point. And everybody's going to say, oh, let's start the trade rumors. Because at this point, if they don't make a move, it's like trying to fit a round peg in a square hole. It's just not working. That's very true. You know, that was a fun hour that we've been on together. I agree. Time I... flies when you're having fun. Yeah, especially considering, you know, it's not very often you find a civil conversation between a Yankees fan and a Red Sox fan. Uh, this might be the first time. Like, good thing this is recorded and documented because we're very civil. History. History. Wow. We're, we're, we're bonding the Yankees and Red Sox rivalry. Look at what the Delahanty Media brand does for you. Like, look at this. We're, we're changing lives. We are. And I think that, you know, uh, I think uh, what fuels us so far has been uh, the equal hate for the New York Mets lately. Uh, but that's what I forgot to add before when you're talking about batting averages. When you have a guy like Francisco Lindor who was hitting, what, 180? And there's some guys on the Yankees that are now batting lower than Lindor is. Granted, he got hot. But when you have that, I, I think that was uh, that kind of set that, you know, truck off it's going off Wheels he got traded he, he got traded to the wrong new york team he fits yeah. much better with that one 180 average in the yankees lineup right yeah now. especially when he strikes out <laughs> yeah fits it right in put him right between judge and stand it's okay we like to strike out anyway it's fine but again uh, on behalf of myself and the delahanty media brand uh this was our first ever crossover and we we're very excited to have it and and jared of course it's always a pleasure having you aboard and we welcome you aboard uh, the Delahanty Media brand. I think this is like your official welcoming party. So I'm going to remind them because I know you're not a person that wants to toot your own horn. Go follow his show. If you're a Yankee fan, if you're a Red Sox fan, if you're a baseball fan, go listen to what he's got to say. A lot of good content coming around. I wouldn't lie to you. Trust me. It is a up and coming show. You're going to want to hear what he has to say. You know, a lot of good content on the way, especially given with the summer months, Red Sox playing good baseball. You might need something to listen to other than me whining about the Yankees. So subscribe, <laughs> rate, review. It's on Apple Podcasts. It's on Spotify. It'll be on Delahanty Media's website within the near future. Make sure you stay up and up in tune for some updates. And, of course, follow the Pinstripe Talk podcast while you're at it. You guys know how to find me at Pinstripe Talk ND on Twitter. 
and on Facebook by looking up Pinstripe Talk Podcast. And our mutual Instagram page is just Delahanty Media. So, Jar, final thoughts. I just I hope we you know continue to have fun baseball. You know this this year has uh, been very interesting. You know I hope that people enjoyed us talking civilly about you know mm-hmm. a very heated rivalry. I do appreciate you having me. I think this is definitely a lot of fun, and I think that it'll be fun to you know come back to this in a couple weeks and kind of see where we're both at. See who's happy, who's sad. See if we're both happy. You know, uh, but definitely I appreciate you having me, and I think that you know the future is bright for hopefully both of us. You know, and if not. Uh, you know, I guess I get to laugh at the Yankees once in a while, you know, for once, you know, your 27 rings, you know, at least we get to laugh now. Listen, if, if by the next time we do this, the Yankees are still struggling, I may need some tissues while I do this show. <laughs> I, might, I might not be mentally there. So, you know, we'll have to wait and see. But as always, Finway Focus Podcast, Pinstripe Talk Podcast, we kind of mashed them all together and we made some great content today. We hope you enjoyed it on behalf of the Delahanty Media brand. I don't want to speak for him, but that's Jared Orlick. My name is Nick Delahanty. We thank you all for taking some time out of your busy schedule. Yes, definitely. Thank you. You know, we have some fun. We like talking baseball. We love when you guys join in on our conversations. So with that being said, stay tuned for more content. We're going to keep rolling it out. And as always, you know, I always end the show by saying, let's go Yankees. I can't say (laughs) those words were yours. So please take the role on that one. Well, uh, you go first. You go first and then I'll follow you. I'll follow suit. Oh, we're going by we're going by the lower part of the division. Yep, yep. First. we'll okay, let you I go first. You. Losers first. Listen, as always, let's go Yankees and let's go Red Sox. And this has been another episode of the mashup between the Pinstripe Talk podcast and the Fenway Focus podcast. We thank you all for listening, and we'll talk to you really soon. Definitely. <laughs>